So I want to share a little story with you this morning. So in addition to being on staff here at First Baptist, I also have to be the fire chaplain for the Round Rock Fire Department. And so I'm not serving here, I'm serving there. And so I had lunch with a, a young firefighter. You know, he's been in the, uh, the force for probably about 15 years or so. But he's newly married, probably within a year or so, and has a new baby, about 11 months old. And he got, recently got, was promoted. And so he was attending training up in Dallas for a few days and uh, left his bride and his child at home. And he was learning about incident command. So when he rolls up on scene, how to take charge of a crazy situation, how to take charge of crisis, and if need be, how to de-escalate that crisis. You can imagine the frantic and the fear and the confusion with the type of incidents and different accidents and things that happen that the fire department responds to. So he's going through these several-day training, and then he comes home. Well, one of the things that he learned at the training, that the instructor, the way he worded it, this young firefighter took very careful notes, and he wanted to be newly promoted. He wanted to make sure that he was going to be spot on when it came to that next crisis. And so what the, 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 the instructor had said, the key to maintaining the proper response to a crisis is don't be the second idiot on scene. Okay, so you can imagine, these are firefighters, they, just, they bring it, they're just real, okay? So don't be the second idiot when you roll up to the scene. And the idea was you're going to have frantic patients, frantic family, frantic witnesses, maybe even the engine company or two that responds gets a little out of whack, and you just have to be calm. So don't be the second idiot. That was his tagline. So now this young firefighter comes home. Now, mind you, his wife works full-time, uh, from home, and they manage somehow to manage two jobs and, an, and a, a baby. At the same time, while he's gone for several days enjoying his training, she's home with the child, the child is sick, and by the time he gets home, there's an incident. There's a scene. And so this newly trained firefighter comes into the house, assesses the situation, and without thinking says, in order to not be the second idiot, here's what you Boy, did that not go over well. Because in order to be the second idiot, or to not be the second idiot, there's an assumption that there's a first idiot at the scene. A word to the husbands. Never, never call your wife such a word. <laughs> all right, so what he thought he was going to do, bringing in all this wisdom, being the hero of the scene, he ended up a couple days on the doghouse and probably sleeping on the couch. Here's why I share that story. Context is key. Context is key. You can say things like, don't be the second idiot on the scene when you're with a bunch of firemen. You do not say that to your bride. <laughs> okay? Context is key. And so today, what I want to talk about is I want to talk about another thing about context. So Pastor Jason just finished up two weeks on the greatest commandment. But you can't have a series on greatness if you don't include the Great Commission. I mean, it has the word great in it, so why not? We've got to talk about it, right? And so what I want to share with you today is I want us to take a deep look at the context of the Great Commission so that we don't respond to the Great Commission out of context. And instead of doing what we think we're doing to live a great life, we find out when all is done, all we did was just make it worse. And we don't want to make it worse. 
We want to be used by God to make it great. So let's take a look at it. So you got your Bibles with you? Open your Bibles to Matthew 28, verse 16. Hopefully you grabbed a bulletin when you came in. We're going to be going through that. If not, you can scan our online digital notes right here. It'll pop up the notes. It also has hyperlinks for the scriptures we'll be going through today. And that way, while you're getting that ready, I'm going to go ahead and pray for our teaching time. Father God, thank you so much for this opportunity to gather in Jesus' name and study your word. Father, help us to understand the context of the Great Commission. Help us to understand then in that context what the content is. And Father, from that, the reason we're asking for this is so that we could love, learn, and live like Jesus. Father, we want to be great, but we want to make Jesus great as we're great. And so, Father, we want to be lights into this community, into our state, and into our nation, and help us to do that by properly understanding the context of which you wrote your word to us. So, Father, open up our eyes, our ears, and our minds to be good students this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so if you've got your Bibles with me, I want to read to you the Great Commission. It starts in verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold... I am with you always to the ends of the age. And so our main observation, I just have one main point followed by a few sub-ones, but our main point today is that the Great Commission and the Greatest Commandment are two sides of the same coin of Christianity. Those rewards that we're going to get one day, if they were a coin, a currency of heaven, on the front side, I would imagine you're going to see the portrait, the picture of Jesus. And on there is going to say, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. And then on the back side, I think you'd see a symbol of a fish with the great commission on the back of it. You see, there's no better way to love the Lord and to love others than to be obedient and understand what the great commission is and then live that out. That's, that's the expression of our faith. That's what we were saved to do. We weren't just saved to occupy heaven. We are saved for a purpose. And so uh, we're going to look at this a little more in depth. And what I want to point out to you, there's, there's four things I want us to really look at while we're looking through this Great Commission. I want us to be able to see the supremacy of the Great Commission. It is supreme. It is uh, like here, second only to the Great Commandment. I want us to also see the strategy that Jesus employs in this Great Commission. What was he doing and what was, what was this about? We need to take a look at the stipulations, understand what is the Great Commission. And then more than anything, we also want to make sure we understand the soul. Jesus' heart when he gave this. What we don't want to do is, you know, because knowledge can puff up. So we can study our Bibles and we can be filled with all this information. But love builds up. And so we don't want to study this just so we have information in our heads. We want to study this. And allow Jesus to build us up to do something with this. So let's take a look at this in depth and see what Jesus wants us to do. So let's take a look at verse 16. Let's look at that specifically. All right. 
we're going to reinforce the supreme notion here. It says here, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. All right, let's just stop right there. Did you catch it? To the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. Okay, that's not a subtle piece of information. That's really key to our context. Did you know that the Bible records 12 post-resurrection appearances of Jesus? Now, there's, there's more, but when you actually put them together and you line which ones are which, scholars would agree there's about 12 post-resurrection appearances. Jesus made himself present, made himself known, appeared 12 times after he was crucified, after he was risen. He showed his resurrection, that he conquered the grave 12 times. Did you know that of those 12 times, one was set by a previous appointment. One was it had a calendar date as supreme. Let's take a look at this slide. These are the 12 appointments that he had. Okay, actually 12 times, right? Only the meeting at Galilee was set by appointment. That's significant. Out of all of his appearances, he chose to set the appointment for Galilee. And he chose to do it three times. So in Matthew 26, just after the Last Supper, him and the disciples go to the Mount of Olives to pray. And there Jesus says, I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to die. But then I will rise and I will go before you to Galilee. You will see me there. So he makes mention, hey, don't worry. We're going to see each other again. The Marys, when they go to the tomb to see Jesus' body, they're met by an angel. And the angel again reminds them, tell the brothers, because Jesus isn't here, tell the brothers, he will meet them in Galilee. Go to Galilee. Then the ladies leave, and they meet the resurrected Christ. And Jesus tells them specifically, Go tell my brothers, I'm going to Galilee. Go to Galilee. So I hope you can see here, this is super important. Of all the 12 appearances, this one was reinforced time and time and time again. That's a clue in the Scriptures. When anything is repeated in the Scriptures, especially three times, that means it's very, 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 very important. So something's going to happen in Galilee that Jesus wanted to make sure his disciples did not miss it. So let's take a look at what's happening there in Galilee. So first of all, what's so special about Galilee? Well, for one thing, Jesus was raised there. But I think more significant than that is that a main area of Jesus' ministry happened in Galilee. That region was where Jesus did a lot of his ministry. But here's a couple things just to kind of set the stage, set the context to some of the things that when they go back to Galilee, these are going to be things in the disciples' minds. It's kind of like going back to a, maybe a place that you proposed, a place you got married, uh, maybe your honeymoon, a place that's significant in your life. You go back and it starts to pull up all those memories. All those things. And so I think Jesus is intentionally bringing them back to Galilee for a purpose. So what happened in Galilee? Well, in Matthew 4, this is where Jesus calls Andrew and Peter and James and John to follow him and become fishers of men. So he starts his ministry calling his disciples to follow him. So I know that these guys are remembering. I remember when he called us off the boats to come follow him. Boy, that's been a crazy couple years, hasn't it? Also in Galilee, this is where Cana is, and this is first miracle at the wedding in Cana. So his first miracle happened to be in this region. Also, the Sermon on the Mount was in Galilee. His most amazing sermon ever happened to be in Galilee. 
The transfiguration of Jesus, where Jesus shone brightly, the, the true glory of who he was, was manifested before some of the disciples. Happened in Galilee. And so you can just imagine the emotion, the, the memories, the things that are coming up, that the risen Christ wants to meet with us in Galilee. All these things are conjuring up. So this is supreme. It was set by an appointment, and he's taken them back to Galilee. He could have just stayed in Jerusalem and had the exact same talk, but he chose to send them somewhere important. Let's also take a look at the supremacy and the authority that Jesus states. So look at down here at verse 18. It says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All right, now when he sent them out two by twos, he just says, I give you my authority. Go two by two, proclaim the kingdom. But now he's saying, no, he goes a little step further. Not just my authority, all authority. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And in all of that authority, I am now sending you. So this time, it's even more than it was before. Because before, they were going to the lost tribes of Israel. This time, that's getting a lot bigger. So this is a big, big deal. Last but not least with the supremeness. What's happening here is this is the culmination. This is the culmination of the calling to the commission. They were called here, and now they're commissioned here. Do you remember what Jesus said when he called them? Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. I will make you fishers of men. They weren't fishers of men, yet they were just fishermen. And now Jesus has died. He has raised. Something's about to happen, and now he's commissioning them. He's commissioning them to as fishers of men. This is huge. My son just graduated from the Bryan Fire Department Academy, so he's now a full-fledged firefighter. He went through six months of training in order to be certified and commissioned as a firefighter. That commissioning ceremony was a big deal because several times during those months, those guys weren't sure they were going to make it. They worked them hard. They studied all hours of the day, all hours of the night. They constantly had to prove themselves and test and train and test. And a lot of them failed many times and had to relearn and test. This idea of it was only six months, it seemed like an eternity to those guys. And so when they got to that place of commissioning, that was a big deal. Families were there. Pipes and drums were there. Everybody was in their Class A uniforms. It was a big deal. And so the readers want us to recognize this is a big deal. They have just gone through several years of being trained and failing probably more than they succeeded at learning how to be fishers of men. And today was the day they were being promoted to fishers of men. They were going to move forward, which leads us to a sub-observation. Supremacy of the Great Commission is that Jesus commissioned the disciples as fishers of men to continue his gospel ministry. Jesus said it was better that he go to heaven... He would send a helper and that the disciples were now going to continue on with the ministry of the gospel. It was better. That's hard to believe that it would be better that Jesus himself isn't better. Well, Jesus is limited to space and time. So no, it's not better. He poured his heart into these guys and he's sending them out in his name. Much better. Here's something else just on a side note I want to share with you. You don't have time to look at it today, but for your studies, take a look at this and compare it to the commission given to Adam and Eve in Genesis 1, 126. God says, be fruitful and multiply and go through all the earth. This is a second commissioning, equal in power. One was to 
to uh, give God glory as creator. And this one is to give God glory as savior. So just look at those two parallels. Let's look at another aspect of the Great Commission. Let's look at the strategy. Let's go back to verse 16. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. All right, hold on a second. Man, we haven't even got out of verse 16 hardly at all. But there's so much meat here. Who went to Galilee? This is important. The disciples. This is really, really important. Jesus called his followers to this task. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, the religious rulers of the day, those weren't the ones he said, hey, meet me in Galilee. i got important business for you. He called his own followers, the non-elite, the ones that had just followed him. And this is key. So look at the timeline. Not only the disciples, but look at the timeline. Look at when this event happens. Okay, this event happens before Acts 2. Jesus is raised, and then Acts 2. What happens in Acts 2? What happens in Acts 2 is the gift of the Holy Spirit is given to the disciples. That was the birth of the church. The church isn't in existence yet. There's no Holy Spirit. There's no Pentecost. Why is that significant? Because this commission wasn't meant for the leaders of the church. This wasn't a church program. This was an all-hands-on-deck commission. So Jesus wanted to make sure that we didn't just leave the Great Commission to church staff to missionaries only, to pastors and elders. That wasn't the intent. The intent was everybody gets to play a part of the game. There's no bench warmers here. Everybody gets called into the game. So this is significant, super significant. In addition to that, let's look at the strategy of, of addition versus multiplication. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Acts 2. Acts 2, verse 41. Acts 2, verse 41. So it says here, in those, so this is Peter's initial, so when the Spirit's given and everyone's like, what's going on? You guys are drunk. No, we're not drunk. It's the Holy Spirit that God promised. Peter gives this amazing sermon. Okay, and at the end of the sermon, many people received Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And it says in verse 41, to those who received his word, they were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Not a bad sermon. Not a bad sermon. First sermon ever, and 3,000 people come to faith. Wow. I preach this sermon. I got 300 people falling asleep. So that's a different story, okay? So 3,000 people come to saving faith by a sermon. But then look at here. Go, keep going down in, in Acts 2. What's happening? Now they start having fellowship. This new church starts having fellowship, and they start doing all the things they're supposed to be doing as a church. And it says there at the end of verse 47, they were praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. That's amazing. The church was just being the church. It was brand spanking new. It was preaching the word. It was, it was, sharing, the, it was sharing the good news, and God was adding to their numbers. Now, I want to show you a shift here. Go with me to Acts chapter 6, starting in verse 1. Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number. Okay, that's, an, that's a different word. Increasing. All right, that's not the same word in the Greek as adding. Verse 7. This is after they, 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 seven is chosen to serve the needs of the, the widows. It says here, after that was accomplished, then the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. That is not insignificant. 
There is a strategy happening here. The Great Commission employs a strategy. See, when the church is being faithful, like you all are doing right now, you're here, we're worshiping. God is continuing to add to our numbers. Every week we have new people coming. Every week we have visitor cards being handed in. And that is a beautiful thing. Amen. Praise God. But that's not the whole part of the story. We have a responsibility. Because when the disciples get to a place where they get mature enough to understand their responsibilities, their job is to then go out and make disciples. And then what we're going to see as a church is rather than just seeing additions passively, we're going to see multiplication actively. And that's a whole other realm of church. All right? And so one of the things we talk about here at, at First Baptist is about actively participating. When we pray, we pray. When we sing, we sing. When we give, we give. When we study, we study. And when we fish, we fish. And so a day's coming soon that God's going to continue to add to our numbers, but he's going to ask all of us, play your part and fish so we can see multiplication, not just addition. This is huge. And so with all that, another sub-point, the strategy of the Great Commission. Jesus saw the people through the person and then built the person to reach the people. This is key. Jesus saw the people through the person and then built the person to reach the people. So now I'm going to get a little personal. I see some of you in this audience. Jesus sees you, but when he sees you, He's looking at the people that are in your life. And he sees you, but he sees right through you. And he's recognizing your coworkers, your neighbors, the, kids, the parents on the kids' sporting teams, the places you're going to go, the doctor's offices he's going to send you, and you're like, ah, oh, I've got a toothache. I've got to go to the dentist. Ah, well, Jesus sees people that need God. Yeah, go get the tooth fixed, but also he sees people that need God. He sees all the people in your life. And then what he wants to do is build you up to go be a fisher of those people. And that's his strategy. He sees you, sees the people through you, and then builds you up. All right, builds you up to go do that work. That's amazing. That's amazing. All right, our next, our next aspect of the Great Commission. Oh, this is getting good. I want to talk about the stipulations of the Great Commission, the stipulations. So I'm going to start off here in verse 19. So it says, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. All right, now we've talked a lot about the Great Commission. We've definitely broken out the content, right? So the key imperative here is make disciples. That is the number one key stipulation of the Great Commission. Great Commission, is make disciples. The supporting ones are go, preach, and teach. Go, preach, and teach. Now, go is right there with it. It's right there with it. So the intent of that is as you go about your life, as you live your life, every aspect of your life, you should always be thinking, I'm fishing, I'm fishing, I'm fishing. Okay, I'm fishing, I'm fishing. It's not supposed to be only when I go to Africa on a mission trip. Only when I go on an inner city trip, on a mission trip. Only when I go somewhere from my church. No. It's supposed to just be as you live your life. As you live your life, you should use the life that you've been given. Besides, it's not even your life. It's Jesus' life. Right? He took your death. 
And he gave you his life. And what was his life? Making disciples. So if you're living his life that he gave you, shouldn't you be making disciples? Not living the life that you died to him? And so it's as you live your life, make disciples with your children, with your friends, with your neighbors, anybody. Make disciples, witness, evangelize, baptize. Jesus is going to ask us to do some crazy stuff, y'all. If you've been following Jesus for any length of time, he's going to ask you to do some stuff that's going to make you really uncomfortable. You can be like, what? I can't do that. And he's going to say, yes, you can, because I'm with you. And so our first thing that Jesus asks us to do is get baptized. Because he's like, I got bigger things than this. But if you're going to struggle with the baptism, you're going to have a time struggling with the bigger things I've got. This is the, this is the first step. Just join me. And so when we get baptized, we identify with Jesus. We say, hey, Jesus is my Savior. I died. And then Jesus rose in me. And then we become identified with the body of believers. Because I need that accountability. When we get baptized here, it's to let everybody know, I'm a follower of Jesus. Help me. I got a lot to learn. And if I start to lose my way, can you come and find me and bring me back? That's why we get baptized, to identify with Jesus and identify with the body of Christ. And so that first step of obedience is just get baptized. And so I want you to know that here at First Baptist, if you haven't been baptized yet, we'd love to talk to you about that. Baptism doesn't save you. It's kind of like your wedding band. I'm not married because I have a wedding ring. I'm married because I stood before God and I entered into a covenant with God and my wife. The wedding ring is just a symbol to remind me, hey, I'm in a covenant relationship with God and my wife. Baptism doesn't save. It's just a reminder. It's a symbol of what Jesus already did in me and remind me of why I live, why I have breath, why I have purpose. So get baptized. And then the teaching aspect, right? When we're new disciples, we gotta, we, our minds need to be reprogrammed. We need to be renewed, Romans 12, 2. We need to have our minds renewed because our minds are clouded with all the things of the world. And so it's going to be very difficult to go and make disciples if we ourselves don't know what a disciple is, don't know how to live as one, don't know anything about the faith. So we need to be trained. We need to be trained. So just so you know, the, the, for the New Testament writers, it was inconceivable. There's a, there's a, I think it's Princess Bride is the movie. Inconceivable. Inconceivable. It was inconceivable that a Christian would come, that person would come to faith in Christ and not get baptized. It didn't happen. It was just like, duh. And it was inconceivable that a Christian would get baptized and then not learn. Those things were inconceivable. So the writers are always just making this assumption. Well, of course you're going to get baptized. Of course you're going to continue learning. You're a Christian. How are you also going to become a fisher of men? How are you going to follow the Great Commission if you don't do what Jesus did and follow the examples? So this is a big, big deal. A big, big deal. Again, the stipulation was to make disciples. The last point I want to make here is we want to look at the soul of the Great Commission. And this is my favorite part of this. This is really, really important. I think this is where it just becomes personal. I think this is beautiful. I want us to turn our attention over to 1 Thessalonians 2.8. So if you'll turn with me to 1 Thessalonians 2.8. I want to read with you a very simple verse, but I think it has profound impact. Now, 1 Thessalonians is written by Paul, the Apostle Paul. Paul was not one of the original 12, Okay. He was actually, he met Jesus through a unique experience on the road to Damascus. 
Um, and he had some time where he was kind of blind for a period of time. And I think God gave him great revelation. So I think this whole time of discipleship that the 11 got, that the other 12 got, Paul didn't get that in person. He got a crash course. If you ever saw the Matrix where they plug in, right? And all of a sudden they plug in, they run the script, and the guy comes back after a second, I know Kung Fu. I know Kung Fu. It's like, well, you've never practiced Kung Fu. No, it's just been programmed in my mind. I think Paul had something like that, where he saw the entirety of who Jesus was and the mission and plan of God. So Paul was modeling something that he didn't even follow. He didn't, model, he didn't have that experience, but he knew what discipleship was. And so he's writing this letter to the Thessalonian church. Now, mind you, 1 Thessalonians was not written to be a book about discipleship. However, if you read 1 Thessalonians, you cannot help but take away key aspects of what discipleship is all about. So it's a great book on discipleship. But I want to read to you 1 Thessalonians 2.8. Paul says here to the Thessalonian church, Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our own lives as well. That's what the NIV version. Here's how uh, the ESV version is. A little, a little more antiquated, so that's why I chose NIV. But read, here's what ESV has. So being affectionately, affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear. So in the ESV and the CSB, these other translations are more literal. There's actually two expressions of love here. We were, we were greatly, affectionately desirous of you on the front end and on the back end because you had become very dear to us. There was this anticipatory and then this appreciatory. And so what we have here is love was kind of like the bookends of what discipleship is supposed to be about. Let's dig in a little more, take a look at this. So the observation I come away from this passage is the soul of discipleship is discipleship is the transference of Jesus' love, truth, and life. Discipleship is the transference of Jesus' love, truth, and life. Okay, discipleship isn't just a class. It's not just knowledge. I truly believe that what's happening in discipleship is you are living fully the life of Jesus. You are embodying it. You are incarnating Jesus. And then you are sharing that with somebody else. And that person is becoming more and more and more like Jesus. And at one day, they too will be commissioned to go make fishers of men in Jesus' image. And so you have this transference, not of just truth, but love, truth, and life. That's what Paul wrote. Let's take a look at that. Let's take a look at the screen here. I've got a little image here. There we go. All right. So this is transverse. We're trying to, we are bringing Jesus into the world, and we ourselves first have to be brought up, and then we share Jesus. And it's not just knowledge. Love, truth, and life. Now look at this love. I was talking about these, the two translations. So the first part, this affectionately desirous. This is the only time in the entire Bible that phrase is used, that word is used. It's a very unique word. It's hard to get a word study on it because you have nothing else to compare it to. It's used one time, one time only. But what it has, if you look at the context of the mother, nursing mother before in verse 7, and then the father at the back, you see that this love is like a parental love that Paul had for these disciples. And on the front end, there's this love of, of anticipation. Love of anticipation. You know that moment when you conceived and you and your husband or you and your wife, you had that, 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 that pregnancy test was positive? You knew you were going to be parents? You loved your kid at that moment and you didn't even know them. You hadn't even picked out a name yet. 
and you already had love. You had anticipatory love. Or maybe you adopted, or maybe you, you have a family through foster care. The second you became aware of a child, you hadn't even meant them, and there was love there. That's supernatural. That's anticipatory love. I haven't even met you yet. But not just that love, you also have the love of action. This is the love of raising that child. You give birth, you feed them, you raise them, you instruct them, you teach them. That is hard, hard, hard work. But the whole time, it's love. Love is work. Love is action. And then you get to a stage where you launch those children into adulthood. And you can look at them, and hopefully, by God's grace, you can say, I want to appreciate the person you are. I love you so much. You are so dear to me. You're not just my child, but I'm proud of who you are. Look at what you've done. Look at what your whole future is. So that's, that's the type of love that's being mentioned here. That parental love of anticipation, of action, and appreciation. And now the truth. Let's talk about the truth real quick. Now this is the scripture, but again, the scripture's in context. Because every cult, every false teaching out there claims to quote a scripture verse, but they take scripture out of context. And then there's no power in it. Just like that firefighter took his training and applied it out of context. It backfired on him. And instead of being hero, he became villain. Right? So when we take the scriptures out of context and we don't study properly, we can make the Bible mean all types of things. We've got to study in context. And one of the ways to study in context is to study in community. Study in community so that we can sharpen. And that's that life that Jesus is talking about. That's the life that's talking about here. In community with other believers. So that if you start to take a notion too far, the brothers and sisters around you say, I don't know that that was meant by that passage. I love you, but maybe we need to bring this back to what Jesus really meant by that passage. So you have these three things. Love, truth, and life. That comprise of discipleship. But I want to share with you real quick here. What does it look like when you're missing one of these elements? So what happens if you remove the love? If you just have truth and life? If you just have truth and life, that's called apprenticeship. I'm going to teach you something, and i probably got to spend time with you to really show you how to do it. Nothing wrong with apprenticeship. It's actually really good. Again, my son just got trained through an apprenticeship to become a firefighter. Good stuff. It's just not discipleship. Discipleship without love is apprenticeship. All right, well, what happens if you put the love back in, but you take out the truth? You have a great time. You have fellowship. And unfortunately, a lot of our small groups, this is what our small groups are. It's a good time. We love one another. We're doing life together, but there's not a lot of truth. So we think it's discipleship, but it's not going to bring out the same stuff because there's no truth. Love in life is is fellowship. All right, now what happens if you have um, love and life? I'm sorry, love and truth. You have worship. That's what we're doing here. We're worshiping. We love one another. We love the Lord, and we're learning truth. We're just not doing that truth together. We don't have time in here to do that truth together. So this is good. Worship is great. It's just not discipleship. Okay? So discipleship is the transference of Jesus' love, truth, and life. And that is the soul of the Great Commission. It's not meant to be a laborious task. Oh, I have to go make disciples. Oh, I've got to share my faith. No, it's not what it's meant to be. It's like, I'm in love with Jesus. Can I tell you what he did for me? Who I was before Jesus? Excuse me. <laughs> got a little excited. I'm not going to dance. I'll leave, I'll leave the dancing to Jason. I'll just throw my glasses. 
But, I mean, do you, my wife can attest, she knows who I was before Jesus. I know where my marriage was before Jesus. I know where my parenting was before Jesus. And I thank Jesus that I'm not that guy anymore. Our marriage isn't what it could have been because Jesus stepped in. My kids are not who they could have been because Jesus stepped in and helped them become who they are today. I owe Jesus everything. He's my life. I get the privilege of living His life. And I get the joy to sharing His life with others in love, in truth, and in life together. It's supposed to be a joy, not a burden. And I think when we don't understand that, we turn it into a church thing. We turn it into, okay, discipleship, check. And then we go on with our lives, and we miss it. Church, I love you. Let's not miss it. I want to share with you some applications here. First one, if you're not a disciple, I would encourage you to become a disciple. How do you do that? It's really easy. You simply just admit that you need Jesus. Admit that you're a sinner. You simply ask Jesus in, this, in the quietness of a prayer, Jesus, I've messed up. I'm a sinner. I can't do this. I need you. I surrender my life. I believe that you are the Son of God. And I ask you to come be my Lord and Savior. It's that simple. I'd love to have a conversation with you if you have not made that decision to become a disciple. love for you to make that decision today. The next one is we need to get baptized and then be discipled. So if you haven't had a chance to get baptized yet, again, I would love to have a conversation with you and let's talk about where you're at. Maybe you have questions, maybe you have concerns, maybe you have some theology issues that, that maybe someone along the way took the scriptures out of context and made it something it wasn't meant to be. I'd love to talk with you about getting baptized. And then I want to really talk with you right now for a few minutes about getting discipled. We have so many opportunities coming up this fall, and some of them are actually happening right now, but I want to share with you opportunities that if you're in a place like, hey, I've, ex- I've become a disciple, I'm baptized, I want to get engaged, I want to do this. Well, here's one. The first one, I would say we have some Sunday school classes that are happening before church at 8.30 every Sunday for our empty nesters and our seniors. We have a men's Sunday school, we have a women's Sunday school, and we have a couple's Sunday school called Couples Life. It is a great place. I know the teachers. I know the, these, these classes. And what's happening in there is truth, love, and life. It is a form of discipleship just at a bigger scale. Truth, love, and life is found in some of these classes. So I would encourage you, every Sunday, just show up. They'd love to have you. You can get more information about all of these options out at the Welcome Center. The next one I want to talk to you about is Next Step Discipleship. This is a class. I'm going to be teaching this class starting August 20th. It's a Sunday morning class during the 945 service. So you can come to the class and then come to worship for the second service. But this is to help those of you that are newer to our church. It's the first step in learning about discipleship, how to be discipled, and how to get plugged in at our church and be a part of what God's calling us to do. So I want to encourage you, you can scan that code, grab your camera, scan that code. You can also go out into the uh, worship center. They have the same code out there at the desk. I would really encourage you to join me because I really love to share Jesus with you. I want to share his truth, his love, and his life. So join me at 945 if you want to get started on this pathway. 
I also want to talk to you about re-engage. All right, re-engage is another discipleship opportunity. Re-engage is Mary's discipleship, where we get together and we learn how to be married. We learn what marriage is meant to be. We learn how to love one another like Jesus and the church love one another. It's an opportunity. It's an amazing event. Amazing. It's over the fall semester. It'll start August 16th. You can scan that code, $30 per couple. We're going to meet every Wednesday night through the fall. And I guarantee you, you're going to learn how to reconnect, reignite, or even resurrect your marriage. And if you've already done that previously, I would encourage you to come back and do it again. Repeating a class is not a shame. It's actually, I give you a credit, because you grow every time you keep learning more and more. You keep getting better and better. So I'd highly encourage you. If you're married, I, I might start with re-engage. Let's do some marriage discipleship. Again, me and my wife and, and several others from our church will be leading that. Come join us for re-engage. Um, last but not least, I definitely want to talk about groups. We were talking about discipleship, these home churches. Okay, so before we had big buildings, they had these small home churches. That's where church was done. It was these small groups of people. All right, our small groups here at First Baptist is called life groups. And we're going to launch life groups this fall. Now, I know, I know. I told you a few times I was going to try and launch it uh, twice this year, and I failed miserably, okay? So I'm learning how to do ministry differently. I've done ministry out in Austin, and now I'm learning how to do ministry out here in Elgin. So I've had to learn a few lessons of how to do these things. But Group Link is going to be an amazing event where you come together. We're going to have this room separated in different areas of town, different neighborhoods, different life stages, and we're going to have a chance to mingle, have some fun. And for those of you that want to get discipled in a home group, it's an opportunity to get that started. So I'd love for you again to click that QR code and register and let me know you're coming so we can make sure we have enough refreshments and have things ready for you. Another opportunity to get discipled. Now, that was a mouthful right there. I want to leave you with the last option. It's a great place to just start. I want to talk about connections. Connections meets right out here by the Pasta Cafe during the second service. You don't even need to register. You can just show up. If you're new to the church and you're just checking this out and you're kind of getting a feel for what we're about, and you're not even sure this is where you want to be at church for a period of time, but you're just checking us out for a few weeks, or you're new and you do want to get started, Connections is a great place to do that. It's a fun place. You get to meet people. You get to kind of go through the sermons. You get a little taste of what discipleship looks like. And they also help you get connected with these different options I just mentioned. Great group of people. Love you to join us. Connections right over here. Next service. Last but not least of the application make disciples. At some point in time, you're going to have enough knowledge where you've now become a fisher of men. If you have a testimony and you know the gospel and you know the basics, you can start. I would encourage you to start praying, who does God want you to disciple? I guarantee you he'll give you some names. I guarantee you he'll give you some names. So let's go and make disciples. Let me pray and then I just have a couple announcements for us. Father, we thank you so much for just opening up the Great Commission. Father, thank you for showing us uh, the supremacy of the Great Commission. Thank you for showing us the strategy. Thank you for showing us the stipulations and, of course, the soul. Father, I pray that more than anything, what we take away from today is discipleship, this Great Commission. Being fishers of men is nothing more than living the life of Jesus and then transferring that life to others living the life to Jesus, and transferring his life to others. So, Father, help us to do that. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.